From Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces shaping the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this week, you know, kind of a slower week as we kind of gear up to understand what's happening in the market as we gear up for the next CPI print, but kind of a wild one as things are getting a little shaky in crypto again, and maybe Meta is on the ascendance. Going over that with me, as always, is Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, what's good, dude? Where Where are you in the world right now, bro? Uh, just trying to navigate through the market, uh, but currently located in Colorado. So excited to kind of dive through today. A lot of the information that we've been giving to our premium members. Um, and, and now just want to share kind of more of the information on what's going on to your point in the market, whether it be in the metaverse specifically with Facebook, because I refuse to call them meta, um, talking about Silvergate in the crypto market, talking about Tesla and Rivian, what's going on in the EV market talking about rocket labs and the space industry, inflation, economy, you know, nuclear wars, UFOs, there, there's never a dull moment going on these days. At all, yeah. It's just one of those things where we've been talking about the same things over and over again. It's just they get slightly more interesting every week, it feels like. Let's go ahead and just go down the list. So most pressing news first, Justin. Uh, Bitcoin's shed $1,000 this morning as Silvergate Capital has, A, kind of delayed their end-of-year report, and B, kind of announced worries that they're not going to be able to make it, so to speak. Coinbase and other various crypto exchanges have bailed on payments going to or coming from Silvergate, and uh, the whole crypto industry is getting shaky again. Uh, the FTX is the gift that keeps on giving. Dude, what's going on in crypto? Are we are we getting ready for another bear run here, bro, or what? Yeah, the crypto stuff is uh, is pretty nuts right now. So obviously, the broader crypto market trades in line in some capacity with the equity markets. It's usually just an amplified version. So if the markets are up, it's up a lot. If the markets are down, crypto's down a lot. But specifically, uh, Silvergate Capital, which is kind of like this neo slash crypto bank, is looking at a potential bankruptcy. It's nothing is definite yet, but it announced on Wednesday that it's not going to be able to meet this extended de- deadline, ultimately to file its annual report, and it may not be able to operate under for the next 12 months. And so Silvergate Capital uh, is a publicly traded stock that we've discussed before and them going out of business ultimately like spells trouble for a lot of the large crypto exchanges. So Coinbase, Galaxy Digital, Bitstamp, all these, you know, exchanges that use Silvergate uh, have actually stopped accepting or initiating payments through the bank. Um, And ultimately, again, more kind of now volatility spreading throughout the crypto markets. Bitcoin fell down uh, at one point up to four to five percent. Ether fell down around a similar mark. These again, like, are just potentially bearish issues that um, are happening due to again the fallout of FTX and and so many other things that when liquidity dries up, volumes dry up. A lot of these companies who don't have super deep balance sheets ultimately are at risk of going out of business. So, I mean, long story short, to start 2023, crypto markets had a really good rally, um, but now with obviously more FTX stuff related contagions, Silvergate news, liquidity risks, other inflation things that's causing the stock market to sell off. That's why we're seeing, again, this Bitcoin kind of sell off after its peak, uh, peaked in around mid-February. Now for the last two, three weeks, it's been headed kind of sideways, if not down further. Because the major issue is that Silvergate was like a straight up bank for these crypto services, right? The major issue being that after all of the FTX drama, after the Luna collapse, just after like a bloodbath that was 2022, the main issue right now is thinking about what banks are going to come in and kind of step in and offer loans 
to sort of like guarantee the liquidity of you know your coinbases and your, your various other crypto exchanges right so that's that's the major concern silvergate going down you know is bad but like the end of the world they declare bankruptcy people get you know some amount of liquidity out of that situation but the main goal is finding another banking service that's going to you know allow crypto to do crypto stuff so uh, that's what yeah. i mean and i mean it's yeah. not a necessarily a knock on crypto per se like again ftx was more fraud related like if companies balance sheets dry up the business slows down like they're gonna go out of business it doesn't matter about crypto so if crypto is the underlying commodity or the underlying asset that's keeping like these exchanges you know making money and profiting if if it's going down people aren't trading people aren't using it they're not making money they have to shut down it's not necessarily you know a crypto thing ultimately it spreads fear and says that it's bad for the crypto like economy like more generally in terms of the underlying tokens but i mean this is simple like you know how companies work they don't make money they have to shut down like that there's obviously more at play i'm oversimplifying it but a lot of this is is not necessarily due to any underlying underlying fundamental issues with crypto or bitcoin in particular it's just again fraudulent or companies aren't making money they're over levered etc cetera, etc cetera. exactly because it's not even it's not even about you know that aspect there like it's not saying oh the whole industry is screwed it's just that one big thesis we had for um a faster faster bull crypto thesis was institutional money coming in quicker than you know we thought it was going to so looking at this it doesn't really change anything it doesn't change that bull thesis it may extend the timeline though as institutions kind of pull back and wait for the dust to settle in the crypto industry a little bit longer than we anticipated the beginning of 2023 and like if you if we just keep going according to the plan if cpi keeps going down if the fed announces hey we're gonna you know calm down on interest rates raises you know by the second half of the year you know the bull run comes back institutional money gets back in and everyone starts the party once again now kind of a question mark in terms of what the timeline of that's going to be so it's not necessarily a fuller collapse of crypto it's oh you know winter just got a little colder and a little longer not a big deal you know if you're still like a crypto believer and a crypto investor and it still fits in your portfolio you know stay the course so to speak this is not the apocalypse but it is one of those things where you're gonna have to stay lean for a little bit longer unfortunately but you know it's 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 not all bad news in this market right justin like we're beginning to turn around on certain aspects too i think you and i have been really hard on, uh, as you call it, Facebook, as the market calls it, Meta, Mark Zuckerberg, and that whole organization. Metastock is a big today on a lot of like independent little pieces of news, and I want to kind of unpack what's going on over at Meta with you. Starting up first, um, stocks up 5% today, and the main thing that happened today was that Meta announced they were cutting VR headsets. Make sense of that for me, dude. They cut prices, so stock goes up. Stock should go down if prices go down, right? So there's a, a lot of things going on that's like behind the scenes. So exactly to your point, you know, on the surface, you would think, to your point, they cut prices, stock goes down because the demand just isn't there. So like looking at it more closely, um, VR in general, obviously has not been doing nearly as well as Facebook thought it would. It spent literally burnt, not spent, burned billions of dollars last year. It's something to the tune of $14 billion. Um, and ultimately demand is not anywhere they where they thought it would be. At over $1,000 a headset, it's either pricing out most consumers, and while they claim that there's some sort of use case for you know the professional life, that doesn't really seem to be the case so far. So they're slashing both of their products, one down about 50 and one down about $700 in order to stimulate demand, which is going to obviously be good for revenue potentially if they're selling that much more and offsetting the price difference, but can bring margins down substantially because obviously these things aren't cheap to make. And if they're selling them for that much more or that much less, rather, they're obviously not making that much more. So 
that's kind of more broadly what's going on. Um, when we start digging a little bit deeper into VR in general, ultimately the usage rates are still super low. If we look at like the penetration rates of video games versus VR, um, we see the penetration rates of video games staying relatively constant over the last few years, but continuing to kind of grow. So that, those penetration rates in the next few years should be around 45 to 50%. Whereas in VR, in 2020, it was 0.4, 2021 was 0.7, 2022 was 1. And then over the next few years, it's not even projected to get over 2%. So again, we're not saying it's necessarily going to be destined to remain in this small niche of people who use it, but we've seen nothing in the short term that signifies until the technology gets better that this is going to be nothing more than a fad. And I think Meta is starting to see that too, hence why they're focusing this year on profitability and all these other things. And again, even with their massive budgets, I mean, their global unit sales in 2022 um, were about 10.4 million units. And, you know, PlayStation, which you probably never hear about, so, and Sony, their VR was 6.6. .6, so obviously much smaller number. Um, but there's other competitors who aren't spending nearly as much and aren't making it the, the forefront of their business. So that's kind of what's going on, you know, in front right now. So everything I'm saying would make you think Facebook stock would go down because of that. But what's really going on right now is um, a combination of two things. One, if they lower prices, there is some anticipation that revenue goes up. So we'll see how that plays out. But in the shorter term, uh, right now, we're looking at what's going on with TikTok. So, you know, fast forward or sorry, rewind the last few months. TikTok was banned at the government level. So anyone who's working for the government uh, wasn't allowed to have it on their phones. And now it just got passed through um, in the House of Representatives and now is being pushed to um, Congress and, and the presidential level to see if there's ultimately going to be this ban on TikTok. And so for the last several years, you've heard a lot of talk about it. Uh, and when President Trump was in power, uh, he tried banning it, but they, there was like this small regulatory oversight that's you know, I don't need to dive into, but effectively blocked his ability to do so. Now they just got or are voting to get rid of it. If that gets rid of it, then President Biden has the ability basically to to kind of outlaw it here in the U.S. And so while that isn't happening necessarily tomorrow, what just happened this week was a major step forward to making that happen. And that's why we're seeing their stock go up so much. Um, again, Who's to say if this will happen? It's, it's tough to say, but this is real progress in the right direction and investors are responding appropriately. So TikTok right now, which commands most of the global streaming market, most of the internet in terms of social media, they actually have a bigger presence, believe it or not, in the US than Facebook, which might be hard to believe in terms of the amount of hours spent and the amount of like time um, used. If you're looking at global internet traffic, TikTok commands... Uh, about 3.9% and Facebook is about 2.9%. So if that goes to zero in the US, Facebook slash Meta, Snapchat, YouTube, all these other platforms where your attention was in TikTok can now be diverted there. If they're going there, ad spend could go up. More eyeballs is always a good thing. So long story short, that's been a lot of the impetus for the move this week. It's up 8% this year, or sorry, the last five days, and then 50% this year just on the heels of a better economic outlook in terms of ad spend. So long story short, we've been saying this for like months, if not years now, we really don't believe in VR anytime soon, maybe in the long run. But again, their core business in terms of advertising spend is looking a little bit more promising. And if TikTok really does go away here in the US, that will be a massive tailwind for their stock.
And of course, TikTok gets banned right as the Moby Meme team finally figures out a good TikTok model. We finally get, start getting traction on that platform. I swear to of God, course. dude. Um, check us out over on TikTok while you still can. <laughs> Memes are leaving forever. But audience, also, you heard Justin talking about you know uh, stream time and the exact number of hours that happen um, where people are spending their time online. If you want a bigger breakdown of that, there's actually a lot more to that story. You can also check us out over on Instagram. Moby Meme Guy has been crushing it lately in terms of really distilling the news down to interesting data points and like really snackable ideas, so to speak, day to day. So check us out over at uh, the Moby.co Instagram as well, because it's probably going to have to be our home moving forward as uh, our TikTok efforts will leave us homeless sick. Of course, no, it's not only that too, Justin. I also want to point out that uh, Mark Zuckerberg went back to his old standby stealing. Uh, Meta announced a new subscription tier for Instagram and Facebook that's going to allow folks better customer service and better reach on the platforms that it looks like people will actually pay for. That happened last week. So just like a lot of small, smart moves and just continually yep. m just ignoring the metaverse idea as well. Just making sure that, the, you know, we uh, don't make that the forefront, make everything else the forefront. So lots of smart stuff having out, happening over at Meta. Really excited to see how they keep building it out. I can't wait to, for us to start writing articles about Meta again. That'd be awesome to have a bullish price target on them once more. But there's, you know, a couple of factors we need to see before we, like, really, really lock that in on the on the analysis side anyway. But let's not harp too long here, Justin. Let's make sure we're talking about the full market. And while it's, you know, reasonably good on the Meta side of things, uh, the EV market got, uh, got hit a lot, uh, pretty bad this week, Justin, especially the parts of the EV market we were covering. Um, Rivian and Neo. Both got slammed on various earnings reports, and Tesla stock was down yesterday after kind of a ho-hum investor day, which honestly was a good investor day. It just lacked specifics, really. Like, lots of solid ideas, great vision for the company, but how you gonna do it, Elon-type shit? What's going on in the EV industry, Justin? We finally seeing, like, the pain set in for these companies as, you know, competition really ramps up and things get really hard for them? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, and there's a lot to kind of unpack here. And so for Rivian, Lucid, others... Yes, the EV market has, you know, been not great over the last year, but this year, next year, the next several years is going to be about cementing their ability to produce vehicles at scale in a profitable way. And so what happened with Rivian in particular, for example, is especially this year, we're trying to see if they can achieve basically a break even um, on their gross margins. And so what they came out and said is that ultimately they're going to lower the amount that they produce. Um, so revenues would be down there. There was just like basically a poor outlook, but again, what we're seeing right now, again, what we're focusing on is this ability to produce at scale. And what we think based on everything we're seeing is that especially even after this, like Tesla investor day, where they released their next part of their master plan, there's a lot of details here, but the long story short is that their ability to separate themselves from other whether it be legacy automakers or newer EV makers, is again, just getting more and more wide the gap between the two of them. And so we won't get into the kind of immense levels of vertical integration, but that's been the focus for us. We've been talking about this for the last few months, if not years. And if you're new to this, basically what Tesla is doing is bringing more and more of the supply chain in terms of producing these vehicles onshore through their supply chain, through their production network. And then even past that, what they're doing is simplifying what you need in the car. Again, all in order to be able to produce a more profitable a profitable vehicle 
at lower price points for the broader base consumer. Like that is hands down going to be their goal. And then moving into the world where one day there's autonomous cars and monetizing that is a separate conversation that we are very bullish on. But in the short term, this vertical integration is going to be the biggest thing that we see this year and over the next few years. And so what Tesla is doing in particular that the other people aren't doing is that they're literally about to offset 50% of their costs with this quote unquote next gen platform. And they're doing this in their Tesla Gigafactory. Um, and so we believe that they're ultimately going to be able to get to the scale of about like one to 2 million units per year per model. Um, and which is, you know, no one's even kind of touching that right now. Um, and, and the way, the reason they're doing this outside of whatever like internal expertise they have is they're going to be spending upwards of $170 billion for the build out of their manufacturing base for EVs and all of their stationary storage. And so what we expect to see is that basically over the next few years, the amount of money they're pouring into this, that they'll, yeah, it's a huge investment up front, but ultimately they're going to do a few things. One, like I said earlier, reduce the amount of parts you need for the car, reduce the mass, reduce the weight. They're also looking at other uh, materials instead of rare earths. Um, they're gonna be using fewer uh, chips in their cars, uh, less complex wiring, and again, just continuing to push down a, how they can produce it and B, the cost of producing it. And again, this will just continue to separate themselves from the rest of uh, like the other automakers out there. I think there's going to be over the next few years, like this really big reckoning where billions and billions were spent on other automakers who, yeah, they produced a great car, but the name of the game right now is producing it at scale efficiently. And Tesla is showing again, that they're really the only one who can do this in kind of a very uh, efficient manner. So long story short, we continue to love Tesla. Um, we think that as electric vehicles, again, get more and more popular, that they'll be able to produce this at a margin that no one else is showing any time they can do. And then in the longer run, again, people monetizing their cars via renting them out when they get fully autonomous, connecting it to uh, power stations in their home, like they just have a very complex plan that they continue to iterate on and ultimately make groundway on. And again, it's kind of just them versus everyone else uh, at this point. No one's even coming close in, in, my, in our opinion. And it really honestly speaks really strongly to, you know, just how much of a bungle Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter was and just his entire new brand efforts on Twitter, because that's all anyone wanted to talk about instead of like, there was some really insane news that came out of this Tesla Investors Day that people just kind of like, it fell on deaf ears because, you know, of all the Twitter nonsense. Like, for instance, the, they're working on a new way to do their motors that have no rare earths in them, which will dramatically reduce costs. Their factories are going to be A, smaller, and B, a lot easier to automate, which really speaks to you know, them, bringing, them bringing more manufacturing back to America, as well as the new plant they're going to open up in Mexico. Uh, you know, that's them working hand in hand with the Biden administration, the Inflation Reduction Act. And it's kind of spooky just in watching, you know, one of your one of our biggest stock picks play out with one of your bigger predictions at the same time, like seeing them be smaller, be more localized in their production and kind of go towards this deglobalization effort and go towards like a smaller factory that can go basically anywhere, so to speak, rather than focusing on absolutely giant factories. Like the, the Gigafactory is over. It's now these smaller plants that can fit into various other areas of the Inflation Reduction Act's new normal when it comes to green energy. So really solid 
way of looking forward, really solid way of thinking about scale, and furthermore, seeing how scale can be accomplished in a what is now a more rapidly deglobalizing world economic paradigm, right? Not getting too meta in that or anything, because we have a couple more things to cover. But something to watch, audience, keep an eye out for those investor reports that show people making their factories more autonomous, making them smaller, and making them more able to be anywhere in the world, especially at a time when the Mexican peso is finally catching up to the U.S. dollar. Like It's the one currency that's actually doing it. Moving on, though, Justin, like a lot more to discuss. Big, big, we, you and I have also talked a lot about the space investing industry, and it's been you know, a really good time. We're finally getting to a point where we have the big moment of competition in space happening next week. Uh, first of all, we had a really great earnings report for Rocket Lab, our kind of our standout space investment. Um, we're really glad we strayed away from Virgin Galactic and didn't invest in any of the other space backs because Rocket Lab's looking at the only one that's going to come out of this pretty okay. We'll always be mad we never could invest in SpaceX, but whatever, we'll get a chance to buy Starlink stock sometime in the next two years. But the big one coming up is... With Rocket Lab having its really strong position getting cemented this month with two launches happening here in Virginia, then down over in New Zealand as well, and their Neutron rocket looking more and more likely to get actually produced for 2024, uh, Rocket Lab's biggest competitor has a big launch this week. March 8th is going to be the launch of the Terran R from Relativity Space, the world's first fully 3D printed market. Rocket uh, Relativity Space has a huge backlog compared to Rocket Labs. They look really competitive, of course, but they've never actually launched a rocket. So huge moment here. But Justin, you've been watching sort of the small stat, uh, the small stat industry as a whole for a while as well. Anything to watch out as this space becomes more competitive, or is it just mostly just sticking to the plan with Rocket Lab and finding other small uh, bets we can actually make? Yeah, I mean, so definitely to your point, like once SpaceX you know, spins off Starlink or goes public or something, we're we're gonna love to get involved there. Um, but for Rocket Lab in particular, they're they're definitely a standout in the small space satellite component. There's definitely some competitors coming up, whether they be public or private. Um, but Rocket Lab is in a in a really good position. Um, and that's because they they, to your point, doubled their contract backlog to over five hundred million dollars, which is pretty insane. Um and the stock hasn't necessarily responded in the way that we've wanted so far but in the last you know in the last 3 months it's still up 5% so it's starting to make uh the the right kind of headways there were some hiccups along the way due to weather and some other things that ultimately pushed out their launch schedule but again this 500 million dollar kind of contract backlog has been what we're most excited about so far um and furthermore what's really cool about it is Rocket Lab is also getting paid uh, by Apple as part of this. So Global Star is using Apple for their satellite constellation program, or sorry, Apple is using Global Star for their satellite constellation program, and then Apple's fronting seventy-seven percent of the costs in order to build it. And so Rocket Lab is the one who's being contracted to manufacture all of those constellations for the tune of uh, I think it's one hundred forty-five million dollars. Forty-three, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, and their payment is upfront guaranteed for the for the most part. So. That's a pretty unique competitive advantage that these small satellite providers are not getting elsewhere. Um, that gives us some really good hope for the for the short term as well as long run. We have a pretty modest price target on our website. We've seen Goldman, Morgan, uh, Stanley, J.P. Morgan, other people put out much more aggressive price targets, and we definitely think we can get there eventually. And to your point about Terran One, the fact that it's completely three D printed is pretty nuts. Um, and some of these and uh, Rocket Labs working also on three D printing. Um, but that's really going to be a, a huge thing for them in the long run. Um, we also saw outside of that, 
they're looking similar to like SpaceX to do these like reusable rockets. They were, long story short, trying to use a helicopter to catch it on its way back down, which feels like a Tom Cruise uh, movie in terms of like these Mission Impossibles. But it ultimately landed in the ocean uh, accidentally and it ended up being perfectly fine, which is a lot cheaper to ultimately use than to try and catch it uh, and manufacture it with a uh, with a uh, a helicopter. So yeah. that's ultimately a kind of loss that or a mistake that ended up being a net positive for them. Um, so long story short, we think that their rocket program is going to ultimately make like this medium launch space uh, super competitive over the next few years, and we see them being a huge winner. Um, ultimately, their their backlog is is all but guaranteed, and now we just have to sit back and watch them execute. Exactly. And audience, if you want a better understanding of why we're not super worried about Terran, it comes down for the exact same reason that they can actually land a rocket in the ocean and have it not be a big deal. It's because that Rocket Lab has focused really heavily on a new kind of material for making rockets, which is a kind of carbon composite material that goes in with like your classic aluminums. Aluminum's great, but it dents super easily and can kind of break apart. And it's one of the main reasons rocket explo rockets explode, right? But uh, carbon composite allows for like a water landing and will also allow for neutron to take a lot more of a beating so to speak and have a lot more like pressure differential so ultimately rocket lab smart design is going to help them win out here and one major reason why the market did not react super well to rocket lab doubling their backlog year over year is that com competitors like relativity brag about having a 1.2 billion dollar backlog um a backlog for a company that has not launched a rocket is not a real backlog rocket lab's getting paid in real money and, re and relativity space is currently getting paid in promises and fingers crossed situations so um that's the main reason we're still bullish like there's real money here there's real investment here we're going to keep it conservative because that's kind of our beat like if you want to go all in on rocket lab i won't stop you i did but um our price target <laughs> reflects more like you know if inflation you know bears out industrials are going to get punished especially more growthy industrials like invest into institutional money is not going to hit rocket lab until they hit ten dollars a share which is why you see institutions being like yeah our price target's ten dollars a share we just want them to get there we want to help push them there so to speak so great time to get on the ride um great moment in the stock market too as we find these winners to pick and choose next we're going to be talking a lot more about who's winning in green energy because the winners are big time emerging oh my god the winners are emerging in green energy thanks joe biden you're my best friend um <laughs> But it's a really it's a really good time to find these sort of stock picks to win. But Justin, we are going a little bit over time here. Uh, great conversation as always. Amazed we didn't even get a chance to talk about inflation. Super glad we didn't get a chance to talk about inflation. But Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, chief analyst here at Moby.co. Any final thoughts from you before we go ahead and read the credits here? As always, solid conversation, my dude. Yeah. Um, to your point, would have liked to briefly get into inflation, what's going on. But as we've been saying now for, for months, so anyone who's a repeat listener, I'm sure it sounds like a broken record at this point, but again, we're trying to fix the supply side issue with affecting demand. Um, there's inflationary aspects coming out of the food production, uh, whether it be food production or energy production, everything's getting rebuilt, remade, rethought. Um, the world is like, we're seeing a new paradigm and kind of dynamic change over the next, you know, what's called like 10 to 20 to 30 years. Whereas the last 30, 40 years was about economic expansion in terms of globalization, the, the world's changing. Um, and so long story short, we do not see inflation going away anytime soon. Maybe in the short run, it's abated in some capacity, but this is going to be an ongoing issue that we need to be super cognizant of. And with the world running on cheap debt, it'll be very interesting to see how this all plays out. So long story short, for those of you who are investing in tech names in the market, thinking that this bull run now is, you know, going to continue into perpetuity. 
Um, we're still being cautious. We're still investing defensively. We're, you know, averaging into names that we believe in that are sold off significantly, but by no means, you know, are we putting all of our chips on the table saying, this is it, like, let's go forth. Yeah, if we didn't believe in investing in the stock market, we would just, you know, jump on the, what kind of honestly feels like free money that is the the treasury yields right now, which are pushing into yeah. really easy. <laughs> not pay. a bad place to park some cash. Not at all. Yeah, 60-40 makes a lot of sense. But uh, if that's what we were doing, we would not be who we are, right? So there's still there's still money to be made as long as you are smart in your diversification and find those names who can stay aggressive and stay growthy despite a much more difficult game to play. It turns out some companies can't hack it. Other, other companies can. And so that's the main totally. thing. Uh, and that's what I love to see i love to see business do business right either way justin kramer appreciate your time dude as always audience if you have any questions for us you can hit us up by emailing us at hellowopi.co or leaving a comment here in our discord as well otherwise make sure you follow us over everywhere especially on tiktok because you know that might be a limited time offer at this point uh, our main home will be on instagram as well if you have any if you have any interest in understanding our long-term perspective feel free to check us out over at mobi.co slash go we're still having free trials we have a long-term perspective we talked a lot about ai this week we're talking a lot about green energy next week and hopefully we're going to get back into retail by mid-March once we get a better sense of retail from the last sort of like dregs of earnings coming out the next two weeks. Regardless, audience, we really appreciate your time. Check us out everywhere. But for now, as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.